Hello there, friends, and welcome to Down the Yellow Brick Pod, your enchanted passport and sometimes twister over the rainbow and down a yellow brick rabbit hole as we pull back the curtain on American culture's most visited fairyland. We are your co-hosts, Tara and MK, your good trouble witches of the concrete jungle, here to preserve the rustic emeralds of yesteryear and reimagine an Oz for today and future generations. This season, our third, we return to Baum and the turn of the 20th century, finishing up our remaining 13 books in the original Oz series penned by first royal historian of Oz himself, L. Frank Baum, and published between 1904 and 1920 posthumously. And then we return to Oz, taking up residency in Disney's dark, disturbing, and kind of delayed fantasy sequel of the Kinder Trauma Age, scarring viewers since 1985, a near 50 years after the MGM release. Wheelers in shock therapy and screaming heads. Oh my, we are in for a wild ride. Buckle up, babies. Off the pod, feel free to visit our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for an accompanying Technicolor scrapbook, as well as our Patreon Pod Squad, where we continue the escapism and entertainment with bonus content from Tiny Oz Concerts, think coffee shop style covers and mashups of Aussie tunes, our Yellow Brick vlogs, exclusive episodes, monthly parties with occasional special guest drop-ins and giveaways, and more behind-the-scenes shenanigans. As a community-funded podcast, our Patreons are truly our backbone, our people. So consider joining our pod squad today. It would make our day. Now, may the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals in New York City can cross yellow brick roads with wonders like you. Hey, M, to Oz? To Oz! Michael Lee Richardson is a writer and screenwriter based in Glasgow, best known for My Loneliness is Killing Me, a BAFTA-winning short film which has been shown on BBC Scotland and around the world. Michael has written fiction and nonfiction for children and young adults, and has feature film and television projects in development with a number of production companies. Outside of writing, Michael likes 80s makeover montages, witches, and going to the shops. Nate is a therapist who lives outside of Buffalo, New York. Oz has been in his life since he was a toddler watching, and singing along to, the MGM movie. Since then, he has become a fan of all things Oz, whether it's the books, films, or musicals. In his free time, you can find him crafting, spending time with his husband, and expanding his Oz knowledge in his quest to become an Oz historian. Hi, everyone. Oh my gosh, I'm so pumped, so excited to have us here for this final roundtable conclusion in Return to Oz. Going deeper into the post-production, into the merchandise, anything that we want to retract from previous episodes, (laughs) this is going to be a wild ride. And Em and I are joined today by Nate and Michael. We're so happy to have you both here. Thank you for choosing to join this gump of a journey that we're about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to go on. And I thought we'd play a fun game today that anytime um, 
we feel like we say something that is just truth today, you have to pretend you're Princess Mombi in a cage and go, and that's a fact. Every time. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, no. So I want to hear warm from- up. We each have to get one in, okay? That's oh, the no. <laughs> it's just so good that I have to recall it, bring it back, because it was a highlight of the last episode. It is well, truly it. iconic. It's truly iconic. Well, let's start with you guys, because you are, I, we want to hear your relationship with this film, what it was in your past, if you had a relationship as a kid to this film, the highlight reel of that, and your relationship to it now as well and then we'll get into some fun questions we have some theory check-ins with you both i can go first um i'm nate yay um my relationship with return to oz definitely goes like far far back like i don't remember exactly when i was introduced to it um i definitely came to it through the MGM movie. So most likely was probably like my parents like being like, Oh, he loves the wizard of Oz. So, Oh, there's a sequel to the wizard of Oz. No idea if they actually saw it. It's probably likely cause I have an older brother. So they probably knew what it was like. Um, but they showed it to me and it just like, I loved it. I was very young. I wasn't terrified. Like I was like terrified of like the Dorothy Gale see like the Dorothy <laughs> gal um yes definitely still have memories of my dad and older brother imitating that voice and like chasing him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah and then I feel like I could only rent it because I don't think we owned it so like it kind of comes in and out of my life sporadically or whatever mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. But definitely in more recent years, I've gotten back into it, especially as I've dived deeper into the books, like really appreciating um, just how entrenched in the book universe it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's my journey. So it's just kind of always been a part of my life. So, yeah. Amazing. I love that your dad did that. Like, I'm going <laughs> to chase you while yelling this terrifying line. <laughs> Exactly. You know, just just a, just enough fear to make you funny. So Yeah, just enough. So good. So good. What about you, Michael? Yeah, I think what's been really nice about listening to this podcast actually is that so many people's sort of journey with this film is so similar. Yeah. Um similar tonight. I, I watched it as a kid. I, I, I'm fairly certain it was my first introduction to Oz. I don't know that I had the Wizard of Oz, if I'd seen The Wizard of Oz beforehand. Mm. Um, but like it's, it was a film. We have yeah. a guest who's just like you who saw it maybe first, which I was like, whoa, that is mind blowing. So funny. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, so it's, the, it's, it's, to my mind anyway, my first introduction to Oz. Um, and I was just obsessed wow. with it as a kid. And, and similar to a lot of people, um, it was that experience of going back to the, the kind of blockbuster to rent it on VHS. Um, yes. And and as a kid, uh, again, similar to Nate, it was the wheelers for me that was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. But I still sort of <laughs> loved it at the same time. <laughs> Just that idea oh, of... I loved the wheelers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was so frightened of them that that... 
I don't know. I think that scene, you know, is so, it's such an exercise in tension and in sound design and in that I would watch it and, and, and like be walking down the street and think the wheelers were sort of ducking down corners <laughs> and chasing me and stuff. Um, which is sort of how I experience scary films now as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was uh, researching for this podcast, so when I was thinking about this podcast, uh, I went back and figured out that Return to Oz on VHS was the first thing I'd ever bought on eBay. Um, <laughs> so <it> was a- <laughs> The VHS and the the novelization, the much talked about novelization, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and sort of revisit it as a as a teenager, and and it, yeah, it's just a film that I go back to a lot. There's, I don't know, I, I, yeah, I can't quite figure out why, but there's just something about it that really appeals to so many different things that I'm into. Mm. I think you're nailing on like it's like a really hard thing to describe like what the allure of this film is but Mm. I think when we presence a little bit of like what was happening in 1985 specifically too like we had like these really innovative artists like really letting us know through fantasy films that the world is dark like Mm. and there was not a like a lot of other things were turning blind eyes to that especially like in America, like it was Reagan America at that time, which was very <laughs> much like a whitewashed America um, of just like, mm-hmm. this is how things are and like rule following. And, you know, like not a lot of room for gray um, in a lot of the, that political sphere. So it's just interesting to see, like, I think that's what the allure of it is. It's like more truthful and honest. Yeah. And I think, and I remember Walter Murch actually saying this in the Return to Oz documentary, the yes. Remembering Return to Oz. Um, this idea that like there are these messages in the film, especially um, in the very beginning when you have Aunt Em leaving Dorothy at the sanitarium and sort of this lesson of like, look, kids, your parents aren't always going to yeah. be there for you. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are going to leave you somewhere and you will have to defend yourself. You will have to protect yourself. And I think that's a very common theme, especially in these stories that feature young protagonists. Like you do have them taking the lead and the adults kind of being the ones who are checked out. And that's a lesson that I think is important for kids to learn, like obviously within like safe parameters, but this idea of like, you can protect yourself, you can defend yourself. Will the adults be adulting in this film? Like they have too much on their plates. Like, and there's, there's mortgages. There's mortgages. (laughs) And from the general, from the Joan Devinge book, we know they had to let go of the farmhands. So Hank, you know, uh, Hickory, aw. Zeke, they've been See? let go. <laughs> oh, laid off. Laid off. Oh. Like times are tough Darn. in this Oz or in this, you know, Kansas in this Oz. All right. Well, some questions for you mm. both. We've been theorizing a lot on this pod of like, okay, is this a, is this um, reality? Is this a dream? Would you both like to weigh on in on this? Because we're <laughs> both, I think, conflicted in this, M and I, and we both have different ways of going about this. Also, like with, is it a true sequel? How would you define it? So tell us your thoughts on, mm-hmm. is it a dream? Is it a true sequel? I definitely think of it as real i think okay i don't know my i think i think i i do that with fantasy stuff anyway because almost any fantasy film you can read uh as a dream is it really happening and -hmm. i think there is a real kind of there is a real dreamlike quality particularly to ours and i think particularly in 
um, in Dorothy as a protagonist, but particularly this version of Dorothy as a protagonist, who is quite pragmatic and sort of takes things in her stride in a really in a way that I I really like. But for me, I just I yeah I think it's much. I much prefer to think of it as real. I don't know. Thinking of it as a dream feels a bit sad. And then, and, and Ozma comes <laughs> back at the end, you, or, or the girl in the mirror is back at the end. So, is she, Michael? You know. is, or is she? No, I'm with you, Michael. I'm with you, Michael. I'm like, she's there. She is literally yeah. in her room. Confirmation okay. that it's not a dream. Okay. Says the, <laughs> says the little girl and the puppy who see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. They're the only people I would trust at this point, to be I honest would, with mm, you. That's fair. That is very, Amen. very fair. Amen. Okay. Love these thoughts. What about you, Nate? <laughs> so all my life, I've always treated it as like, no, this is real. This <gasps> actually happened because there's objective things. It's like, okay, like- right. Ozma literally unstraps her from the hospital. Like, she wasn't going to get out of that herself. Like, you know they'd be pulling that tight. (laughs) Um, And then she sees her at the end. So I always have interpreted, well, there's this meshing of the world. So it's like, that's, and that's like Oz. It's not her Kansas counterpart. So I've always been like, no, this is real. But now I'm like, from like a, like the filmmaking standpoint, I'm like wondering if that was the intention, but then that sort of led me to like rewatching the film. Um, And now I'm a therapist by trade. So I'm also like looking at it through like a mental health lens as well. And sort of um, it's transformed the movie for me actually. And now I really do see it as a story of someone healing from trauma. Yeah. Um, Because we have Dorothy at the very start, like clearly she's traumatized, whether it be because she survived a natural disaster or whether she's just been traumatized by her experiences in Oz. I mean, like she was like, her life was threatened at several points. Like, you don't really Mm -hmm. just bounce back from that. And how in the, beginning there's just this stagnation her friends have been turned to stone um her heart her brains her courage all of that's called into question she's just very very flat very reserved um very timid not like the dorothy that like she is like when she's later in oz and then she finds these new parts of herself like tiktok this defensiveness belina this healthy skepticism of everything around her <laughs> healthy um, skepticism yeah, this nurturing like this maternal side of her that she's not really getting at home cuz aunt em and uncle henry like like you said oh. they're adulting they're just kind of out of the picture but then by yeah. the end of them and you have these people who are trying to make her forget which like I clients all the time are talking to me about like, I just like, I want to forget that this happened. I don't want this to be part of my story, which actually hurts the healing process. Mm. Um, Because when we're treating trauma, we're not trying to forget. We're trying to relate to it in a different way. Right. Um, How do we make this as part of our narrative? Um, And then you have this nice conclusion at the end where Ozma saying, you can come back to Oz whenever you want you can go back and forth. You don't have to forget. Um, and it's part of your narrative and it's part of your story. And that's really the goal of trauma treatment is integration. Wow. You're integrating these parts of self, these inner childs, this defensive part, this angry part, this all these different parts of yourself. That's really what it is. And that's what she gets at the end where she's just like, you know what? I'm fine in Kansas. 
and I can go back to this land where I feel safe and I have this escape, but I'm not trapped in it. So wow. I don't know. So is it reality? Is it a dream? I don't know. I'm, I think it like, you're not wrong either way, but not it's wrong just, either way. it just depends on your day, like kind of the day you're having. Right. So. Right. And, and, right, Nate. Now thoughts. I'm crying. I know. I'm truly crying. <laughs> and it's like we're 20. 20- Sorry, I have that effect on people. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> we're 2022 people as well, right? Like we're just coming out of we're still in it and we're out of it. I don't even yeah. know what to describe this these insane two years where everything flipped on its head, but now we're kind of going back to normal. And I sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, did we learn anything from this? Like we didn't really learn how to slow down, which I think was the gift of the pandemic. Like one of the, you know, there's a lot that was rotten about the pandemic, but slowing down, I think is a beautiful thing, but you know, and now we're just back to like chugging along. Here we go. Our lives again. And like, I think return to Oz does speak differently now to, to where we are in our time. And you both made me think of something else. I'm going to pose another theory and I want your thoughts, all of your thoughts on this. What if Nurse Wilson is just Mombi and Dr. Worley is the Gnome King and the mysterious blonde girl, they actually are their counterparts. They're not, she's Ozma. Like they're not just, you know, these like doppelgangers. What if they actually are flesh and blood in Kansas trying to get her back? Um, that I think could mm. easily be. I didn't even think of interpreted. That. Mm. I think it works because I've noted things even more so because I've been doing a few more rewatch passes, and also this beautiful Joan Devenge book. Like there, it feels like the, the Doctor Worley wants to know more about the ruby slippers. He keeps asking, "Tell me more about the ruby slippers." Like he's wanting to get that information like there's like why would he be asking that like that's it's very interesting i think it can almost be interpreted that way because then we have the blonde girl you know is gone you can't even find her because she's in oz the only thing that's tricky is like what happens with mom is a little hard i'm here for that i think i've always naturally maybe even with the 1939 film like i love that and anytime i see any sort of Oz on stage, anytime it's the same actor playing dual roles, I'm so here for it. I think because that's how our brains weirdly work is like we make connections anyway between things that might not even be real. I'm here for like a weird parallel universe where they cross between the borders of reality. I, I'm i so here for it. Because if that's the case, then it definitely is real. Like, that's what I would say. Like, then I would be on more of the board, more on board with like Oz just being a real, very real place. And they're using their magical powers to drag her That's back. It's a little in. scarier. <laughs> it's like they're invading. We see in the books, like Ozma, like knows how to like, kind of bridge this gap. Like she changes yeah. the roads and ret- like in road to Oz to get Dorothy there. Like, and this, like, Ozma and Return to Oz, like, I feel like she's a little bit more calculating than Book Ozma. Like, I'm almost getting kind of, like, like even Glinda vibes um, from her of, like, what if she tricks Mombi and the Gnome King into getting Dorothy to come <laughs> back to Oz and, like, like Mommy and, like, the Gnome King, they've conquered Oz or whatever, but Ozma just kind of throws in the, what about Dorothy Gale? What if she comes back? What, like... Because, like, we're assuming that the Oz people maybe don't know what brought She's Dorothy the there big in the bad. first place. <laughs> mm, exactly. She's Ozma's the big bad the big who's going to come get us. You got to go You gotta go take care of her. You got to go knock her out or whatever. Well, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I could see it. I'm on board with this theory. She too. does not <laughs> smile at all in that last moment. People. And that's what makes me not trust her. There's no like sense Ooh. of like calm coming from her. I'm also like, if we are dealing, if we are looking at just Ozma, like she's also a traumatized tween. Like the sweetheart has been mm. stuck in a mirror. She hasn't had time to develop. <laughs> and we want her to rule a country. Stuck in a mirror. We want her to rule a country. Is that very quick for right? this? Come on out of the mirror. Does that feel right? Okay, so that's like I have thoughts on that. I'm like, do we think Ozma's gonna do in this universe, in this return to Oz <laughs> universe, do we think Ozma's really gonna do a great job? Do we really feel comforted when Dorothy gets sucked back to Kansas that Oz is in a good place? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel. But also want to touch base on that, but also um, the absence of Glinda in this film, friends. Would love to hear your thoughts. Cause I think that is wild that they did not include her and before we signed on we were joking about like glinda's pay rate was too high like she just (laughs) like she was non-negotiable like the hair and makeup was way too expensive (laughs) they couldn't like they couldn't get the full girl army to surround her it just was like gonna be like too much for this (laughs) Mm -hmm. this to happen but what do we think about the absence of glinda and this ozma from what we see as the ruler I, th- I the absence of Glinda sort of from a from a storytelling point of view or from like a I th- I think from a storytelling point of view like you kind of can't have Glinda there because cuz then the story 100. would be over as soon as it's That's I think like, why they cut her. I think you just yeah. way way too easy, yeah. But but where but is she? A, like where is she? Yeah, from like Vacation. an audience point of view, where is she? She had pre-approved PTO. She was out. Yeah, yeah. She, was out of- she put in that time off because it. There's a later Oz book where I think she goes to like a convention with Ozma, like a fairy, like a a meeting. That's where she's at. Oh she's at. my! God. I would have bought if they had imprisoned her, like because that would have also like upped the ante completely. Mm. If Glinda's imprisoned. Like, then nobody's mm-hmm. doing well. Kind of like what we witness in The Lost Princess of Oz in the books. Like, when Glinda's like, um, I don't have my magical objects. Everyone's like, what? Like, what do we do? So I think that could have <laughs> been fun to see Glinda just completely robbed of her power. But again, like, that adds another plot line that, like Michael said, like, it's just uh, would have complicated things. So I get it. I, think, I get it. I think she's one of the chachkis in the Gnome King's... <laughs> basement that that gets destroyed oh, so that's no. why we never She's see dead. <laughs> glinda is dead is the follow-up film. Bye, glinda. <laughs> and ozma's like i can't do this <laughs> okay so you know how in some oz retellings or on stage and whatnot the same actor the same actress or actor plays aunt m and glinda what if there's this weird thing happening where like Glinda is Aunt M and is like watching over Dorothy or like is you know how it, in the 1939 it's like you have to learn this lesson for yourself and we're like that's a little bit shady like you could have helped her out earlier on <laughs> maybe she's having another one of those moments of like Dorothy don't talk about Oz but actually yes yeah, secretly go to Oz <laughs> I don't know yeah. And this is my fact. developing theory. <laughs> well, and I always like I get frustrated watching the movie when it's like the Ozma reveal because that 
easily could have been the Glinda cameo. Like, yes, 100%. She could have been in there, a few lines. But I think it's like you said, it's like, it's tough to explain. Well, how did Glinda not see this coming or whatever, like in her great book of records? Or how did she not like figure out a way around this? Um, so they and maybe just like her. it was too much maybe at the end like throwing in all of these familiar characters um but i don't know why glinda got the cut but then we get like the bumpy man he, he manages right. to get a <laughs> he, he's there he frogman bumpy frog man, man made it. is totally in well to that <laughs> we have a dear patreon who is new to our crew his name is mitchell and I was bowing down to this thread that Mitchell created about the Glinda cameo that people swear by that Glinda is in the film. And Em and I last week were like, absolutely not. Like we looked everywhere. Like this is, (laughs) we are pulling from threads people. So here's Mm -hmm. what Mitchell shared because it's wonderful. And it, I think can silence everything because we also have proof in a call sheet, people proof in a call sheet that was created. (laughs) The receipts, you know what I'm saying? Um, that share who was on set that day for the Emerald City coronation and the procession scene. Okay, but first for Mitchell, I figured I would provide my insight on this Return to Oz rumor and help clear the air. Some time ago, when I first heard the claim that Glinda makes an appearance with the other Oz legends at the coronation scene, I tried to deep dive as much as I could to get to the bottom of it. Bless you, Mitchell. You are our people. <laughs> Thank you, Mitchell. To my knowledge, Glinda is, in all caps, not present in the film. However, <laughs> I can see how it became speculation. This is very similar to the to the hanging munchkin myth that is associated with the MGM film. Here is a screenshot of the woman that some fans claim to be Glinda. And he shares this. I'll put this on our Instagram so you guys can all check in and see it. It is even on Glinda's Oz wiki page. <laughs> the shot oh my occurs as the light is getting brighter and Dorothy is telling everyone goodbye, which is also a fascinating pl- place to catch her. Mm. The moment is the only time we see her, except briefly we see her head next to Jack when Ozma first appears in the mirror. Basically, it's a woman in red, which is the quadling country color. So interesting. But then Mitchell says, the truth is, however, the screenshot of the alleged Glinda isn't quite what we see in the film. (laughs) It's in the background and quite blurry, but you will see that her crown, which could kind of resemble the John Arneal crown, is actually not a crown at all. It's a combination of the patchwork girl's hair and Ojo's face. As the camera pans to the left, it becomes clear that the girl in red actually has nothing on her head. So it's like other people's costumes looking like a crown. (laughs) So the screenshot is severely misleading. The moment occurs in the film quickly, and most copies streams of The Return to Oz for many years have been of low quality. So I can see where this rumor became cemented as reasonable speculation. To further the certainty that Glinda is not in the coronation scene, recently a Return to Oz call sheet from May 1st, 1984, surfaced that lists all of the specialty (laughs) Oz characters by name that are present. Oh my gosh. Let me read you who is on this call sheet and guess who's not there? (laughs) Glinda. Okay, so we have... Mombi, Dorothy, Ozma, Mombi 1, Mombi 2, Jack, Scarecrow, TikTok, Tin Man, Lion, Two Wheelers, TikTok 2, it says, which I think is like an indication of his shiny armor, <laughs> Captain Bill, <laughs> Hip Hopper, who's that? Tommy Quickstep, Munchkin, there's a, a slew of Munchkins. We have 
Woot, which that's Woot. news to me. Woot. <laughs> I was like, Woot is in this from Tin, Tin Woodman? Ojo, we have townspeople. We have a band. We have Rinkatink. That's also news to me. I didn't catch Rinkatink. That's news to me. Musiker, Royal Gardener, Shaggy Man, Private, Guardian of the Gates, Clown, Mr. Frog, which is the Frogman, Wogglebug. We also have Elizabethan Man, (laughs) Bumpy Man, Mm. Braided Man, Elizabethan Lady, Loom, Ginger. Ginger, I said last week, was not in this movie, and this corrects me, because I was like, I can't find her. I didn't find her, but... She's on the call sheet. Polychrome. I'm so trying to find all these people no. and pausing the uh-huh. film. Yeah, find them like, uh-huh. I still can't. I'm going to try. <laughs> so hard. I'm going to try again. We have, tell me this name, Osmobine. Who's that? Osmobine. What? I don't know who that is. Patchwork Girl, Townspeople, and that is everyone. Elizabethan Man is my favorite. <laughs> Elizabethan Man. <laughs> but just that to clear right. that rumor on up, like Linda ain't in this film, people. She didn't even I make that deep Mitchell. cut. She didn't make that deep cut list. Like, there's no way that Musiker mm. is on there and she's not. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a, it's <laughs> yeah. not a mistake. I first of all it's love a- that this call sheet exists. 100. And I love that Mitchell, I love Mitchell's passion. Yes, Mitchell. She is not there. <laughs> well, it's one of those things that like an old screenshot thing that's like a little yes. bit like misleading. Gets blurry. Gets blurred yeah. And then like it creates this whole fan theory that's this baseless. Rumor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Okay. So the absence of Glinda, we think, is basically for plot convenience. Is that what we're all feeling? I think so. I think Ozma yeah. kind of fills in the place of like what Glinda would be um because even in the books glinda usually just kind of makes that appearance at the very end to be like hey (laughs) i'll fix everything (laughs) so and i think ozma kind of does that in the well and also the ruby slippers too that like actually transport them out of the gnome king's mountain so yeah i just picture them in development being like oh we have these two characters we're basing it around this book like let's just hope people don't Get mad that she's not there. <laughs> no one will notice. No one will. Yeah, notice. no one will know. Also, like her sugary pink outfit would make no sense in this. Like, just not in this right. world would make no Ooh. sense. And it's kind of hard to like maybe paint her differently than Billy Burke. I mean, they did with Dorothy. I guess it wouldn't have been. They really just did different takes completely. Yeah. Like the only thing connecting is the ruby slippers. Okay, friends, why don't we dive on in? We'll get back with some retractions from M and I and some (laughs) unmentionable things that we want to make sure we put on the pod, and then we'll get into post-production. See you in a bit. things in the return to oz film that em and i missed and our guests missed we're calling you out guests you missed it (laughs) how dare they you missed it um just just joshing around but some things i think bear (laughs) mention that we just kind of either glazed over there's so much in this film to talk but we do think it's important to talk about and also some things i know i want to make a retraction and i think i'll start there and then em i'll pass the ball to you if there's anything you want to share 
my first retraction I want to make, we got into like a little debate on what happened in the Emerald City stone turning <laughs> that happened with the Gnome King and potentially Mombi. We like to think that it was Mombi because we know in the books she has that ability to turn people into stone and marble. So we hope it was Mombi that was being used by the Gnome King to do that. But we were confused to like, why did the Tin Woodman turn to stone but not TikTok? And we had a nice conversation happening in our Patreon. And I, as like, I was listening to the episode and I was like, wait, I don't actually agree with what I'm saying on it. Which I mm. said was, why wasn't the Tin Man able to avoid this? Because he's similar in body to TikTok. But the main difference is, is that the Tin Woodman, and I love that she says Woodsman, because that's, I think, where I get that <laughs> from. I always say Tin wood, Woodsman. Um, I think he's alive. Like, he isn't a live human. TikTok was never alive. Um, he is mm-hmm. a machine. But we do see that this machine has feelings this machine is emotional and moments which is very interesting that we get to see that which makes me think of like is it what is that movie called is it her that movie mm-hmm. do you know what i'm talking with about scarlett johansson yeah. yes yeah. that movie scar with scarlett johansson her it also makes me think about how a lot of us will take inanimate objects and put emotion onto them and see them <laughs> as real life creatures so that's like a whole thing with TikTok. bun bun yeah, my stuffed animal Bun Bun is Well, Bun Bun's real. He's real and alive. <laughs> he really is alive. He's so. listening to this right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, careful. So I would like to take that back. I don't agree with what I said. I think it is correct that the Tin wood- Woodsman was frozen and in, in t- turned into stone. And I think it is correct that, the t- that TikTok wasn't because he actually is not alive. He's had no powder of life. None of that. So I'll stand by that now. I agree. I'm with you. Anything, M, that you want to mention that we didn't mention before, want to take back? Do you still think it's a sequel? Well, that was what I was going to (laughs) hit on. Do you still think? So in the beginning, when I was kind of listening back to where we started, I, I mean, my relationship, quick recap, I didn't watch it till I was an adult much later in life. So I always had a little bit of a um, hesitation or I just prejudged it a little bit. And I think when we started this section of our season, I was very much against the idea of even I was like incredulous, like, no, it's in no way a sequel. Absolutely not. And throughout our journey and after reading all the books, I've I've really switched like I'm here for it being a sequel. I don't know if that's my true love in the Oz canon of seeing it as like a one for one sequel, but I am here for seeing it as such and like piecing it together that timeline even though there as we mentioned there are things that don't make sense like she ages backwards (laughs) you know but I think I that's my biggest change throughout the season is oh that's actually really fun to see it as such and I wonder if I had watched it as a kid what I would have thought and that's a fact (laughs) and that's a fact (laughs) um I I think terrifying I think I agree with you in like if I put the word unofficial sequel I feel unofficial okay. feels good. I feel okay yeah. about it because they- I'm not here to be like, let me give you a thesis on why I personally am passionate because I'm not 100% passionate about that idea, but I'm not mad about it. <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Note it. Okay. I'm just going to mention a few things that stuck out to me in a recent rewatch that I don't think we shared on the pod. 
The biggest thing, we shared this on the Instagram, is the fact that when Aunt M goes to meet Uncle Henry in that opening sequence um, to go discuss taking Dorothy to a doctor, there is a gingham dress that is present that is going into the laundry, it looks like, or maybe it's just been taken out of the laundry, which is so great. I just love that there is a gingham dress in that moment. It's really dark. It's hard to see it. So it would get missed easily, especially if you're just focusing on the actors. But if you let your eyes travel around in that scene, you will see the gingham dress draped over a chair. And it gives me a chill because it's like, oh, right. Like, Dorothy might not want to put that dress back on, too. Like, you know what I'm saying? If she is, like, really going through some pain and trauma... The dress might hold a lot for her. So very interesting placement. I want to give that a big shout out. Also, I love the opening just coming through the window. Um, That's how we enter back into Dorothy's world. I was like, oh, this is like the same window that gave her a concussion and put her into this (laughs) waking dream. So it's like interesting that that's Remember that? (laughs) That's interesting. That's where we're starting. Um, Some other things that I just noticed that I would love to give a shout out to when princess mom being my favorite moment, when she like breaks open the doors, when the gump is about to like jump off of the tower and she has all the wind and her like fabrics are like slapping her in the face. She says, and it's not audible. She says, so it's there. She's bringing back the, so from nurse Wilson. It's not, I'm pretty sure she's saying it. And I was like, what? I was like, I wish that was louder because then that so would be even more iconic because that so is excellent <laughs> that she says as Nurse Wilson. <laughs> oh my the closed God. captioning does confirm that she is saying so, and I didn't Ooh. notice yes! it until my rewatch yes! last night. She wow. comes in and it's very clear. It says so. so. <laughs> I love a caption. So. Thank you. Yes, I didn't even catch that. So thank you for confirming it. And that's a fact. Okay. And that's a fact. <laughs> Title of the episode. I'm obsessed. <laughs> also want to note, if we're going back to the sanitarium, the mirror, I don't think we we stress this enough, Em. The mirror that she has in that really sad, that really humdrum room she's been thrown into to wait with, with the comb and the pumpkin that mirror <laughs> is broken, which is interesting, Ooh. which makes it like difficult for, I think, Ozma to get to her. And I wonder if we're now oh, looking no. at it, it, if we're looking at it in the fact that these actually are the counterparts, like it's not them being doppelgangers. It's actually them. Right. Maybe like Nurse yes. Wilson would have smashed that mirror so that, that yeah. Ozma couldn't get to her. Because it's just oh. broken. I think the mirror, the mirror is gone. It's yes. like paper, like pasted over it. Which, yes. uh, like in a sanitarium also makes sense because you typically don't have the mirrors because mirrors can be broken and there is Correct. that aspect of it as well. Um, but that's an interesting detail that is there of like oh she can't get to her so she has to present in person right mm. and she probably didn't have a mirror at the old kansas house because it was not so yet. shoveled like not like, yet yeah not there yet. wasn't really anything so that's an interesting detail oh i'm okay i'm into that also I like that <laughs> notice for the first time like we're obsessed with mombi or nurse nurse mombi um her dress that she wears <laughs> at the beginning we've we just yes. love it but the fact that she has no neck really stood stood out to me in this rewatch like oh because she like it's not her head like she always is treating her head uh. i just like it's like something like stood out to me more with that 
And this also stood out to me when Jack grabs a broomstick to put on the back of the gump. Is that the witch's broomstick that they had because it would have been stored in the wizard's tower because oh, they gave it wow. back to him? Right? Uh, I was like, wait, it's okay. probably the witch's broomstick. Mike drop. Mike <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> was this before No Good Deed or before Define Gravity or after? <laughs> I need like, to know the timeline. of all the different <laughs> versions of how that scene went down. It's right. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Wow, that's a good observation. I also, like... I'm I'm kind of sad for Dorothy, like that she has to put the ruby slippers on Ozma's feet again. Like I, <laughs> I like at the very end. Aww. I feel like again, like we don't really know who we're giving this power to. That like really stood out to me. I'm like, just because she's the rightful ruler doesn't mean she's the right ruler. Like that's why does she deserve those you know, shoes? There was something in that that gave me like the oh god, like Dorothy just got them back and now she has to give them over. Last thing I'm going to say, anytime now when I watch the opening Wheeler scene, it reminds me of West Side Story. Like the music underneath is a little bit like Jets and Sharks, which I was like, oh yeah. Like there, could you imagine like the Jets and Sharks and the Wheelers in a brawl? Who would win? The Sharks, I think. Um, (laughs) Not the Wheelers. That's a tough one. I don't think the Wheelers would win. (laughs) Right. I don't think the Wheelers would win at all. They would all fall over. Well, that's all the little things I just wanted to throw in there that didn't get enough airtime on the pod. Well, let's get into, friends, the music. We were just talking about David Shire's little West Side Story hints, (laughs) little flavorings. (laughs) I'm sure that was an inspiration. It is now canon. (laughs) But just a presence, this whole entire score was performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, which is amazing. And I just think this is fun. While David Shire was doing this film, or maybe not. No, I think he was married to Didi Khan at this point, who is Frenchie from Greece and the movie, which is amazing. But beforehand, mm. he was married to Francis Ford Coppola's sister. So it just feels like, I don't know, like this, this age of like new directors, they're all interlaced in so many different ways. <laughs> um, but anywho... Something that I loved learning about David Shire with this score from Ryan Jay's amazing interview with David Shire that is available on YouTube, please go watch it, um, is that merch really wanted a Peter and the Wolf sensibility to this. Like every, we've talked about this as we've gone, like every character to have like a motif, a musical motif or theme. But I was like, oh, right. Like it does feel like Peter and the Wolf. That's what it is. Like that actually like hit something hard for me when I heard that. I was like, yes, that makes so much sense now that that was an inspiring soundboard to go off. Anything we want to share about like our favorite moments of the score? Cause I don't think we've talked about it enough just cause it is so good. I really think it should have been nominated for awards. I think that's a travesty that mm-hmm. it wasn't. Um, the floor is yours friends. The music in this film, I think, I, I think it's a brilliant film anyway, but I think the music elevates it to yes. to another level. Like it's another character in the film. It's another, yes. and and I I wonder how much that has got to do. I think the sound design is incredible as well, and I think you know Walter Murch as a as a director is is conscious of all of these things at the same time, and and I think that's really like evident um, in Return to Oz. I think. it's the smaller bits of sort of slightly incidental bits of music that that when I've watched it again recently, I I sort of pick up on. It's um, particularly the bit when uh, Dorothy has first arrived in Oz and she's sort of stepping over the stones in the deadly desert, like just this little 
sort of ragtime piano thing. It's so mm-hmm. lovely. And, and so of the time when um, these books are supposed to be set as well. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, just brilliant bits of music. Right, which I guess is like part of the reason why it flopped initially because it's so like from 1900 Americana mm. and people like mm. want it the like 30s. Yip Harburg and Harold Arlen sensibilities about it. But I think you're right. Like the music makes this film in a way that is like so understated. Like if this film did not have the music, I don't know if we would even be talking about Mm -hmm. it, like in the way we're talking Mm -hmm. about it because it heightens all of their characters. Yeah. The music itself is a character within the story. And it's just, it really is a perfect backdrop. And like, I I have to shout out, um, I did a connection that I realized in this re-listening to the podcast episodes is that um, I'm from Buffalo, New York, and not only do we get to claim Harold Arlen, who wrote the music for the 1939 MGM movie, we also get to claim David Shire, who was also oh, born wow. in Buffalo. So oh, fun that's little crazy connection I, there. I have to share something with you all. This is really sad. Okay. I saw Baby Off-Broadway. David Shire was sitting by me and I didn't say anything to him. How dare I? How dare I? This was not How long dare. ago. This How was, very dare you. This was like within a year. Like I should have said something. I was too nervous. And my friend Mara, bless Mara. Mara, I'm giving you a shout out. She's bold. She was like, baby's one of my favorite shows. Like she went up to him and said that. And I was, yes. I turned into a princess mommy statue. I was like, <laughs> I, sometimes. It's it's a big deal. It can be hard. But he was there. I get it. He was also like so proud that Baby, which is one of his musicals that won, I think. No, it was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Score. Wow. But Baby is very 80s. It's It's been adapted yeah. to be more inclusive and family and how someone would welcome a baby into the home. This new production had um, a lesbian couple was involved. We had a couple who had disabilities involved. It was very beautiful. And he's like, the happiest little clam watching his show make sense in 2022 and evolve. Wow. He was so cute. And he's like, gotta be close to 90. Mr. Mr. Shire, like cute little cherub. That's cool. You're in the same room. That's awesome. Isn't that, isn't that cool? But I'm so mad at myself though. (laughs) (laughs) I probably would have loved it because I feel like that's the common theme with this movie is like when you hear the cast and the creative team talk about it, there is so much love, like, mm, especially yeah. when you're watching that, um, the Return to Oz documentary. Yeah. Like, they clearly like loved making this film. Um, and they didn't have that music, did. they didn't have it when they were filming it. And like, that was like a they bonus, mm-hmm. like, when they all got yeah. to sit down and watch it. It's just the music is so memorable. Like, Michael, you mentioned the ragtime piano that plays, like, literally to this day. When I'm like walking on a sidewalk, like I'm not doing um, break your mother's back. I'm doing like that is the music playing in my head, avoiding <laughs> yes the cracks or whenever I have to cross Aww. something. So it just it follows you, and the music at the end um, mm. with that processional, that like that Ozma coronation music is just beautiful, like and just oh, sweeping. And I loved the great. clip that y'all post on the Instagram putting the music with the 39 movie with Dorothy oh. coming out into Oz and putting J- mm, David so Shire's cool. music behind it. So good. We I love that. It. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's just magic. Like, it just works. Because it is so like, you're entering a really beautiful world. And but his has a darker hint to it, as as it absolutely should. I love it. I even noticed I was listening. I've been listening to the score a little bit on its own, just on Spotify. I love that there's even like hints of mandolin when you're introduced to Nurse Mombi in the beginning yes. like it's just the foreshadowing elements too are really cool that he had that all in there it's just so freaking cool like you can get the so smart feel of the film so easily just by listening to the music i think it's another i think the music is another one of those like very very individual choices for this film because they're like like 80s fantasy the sort of obvious choice would be to go for like synthesized music, like electronic <laughs> music, and and there's a lot of that around at the same time. So this 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 proper like cinematic score, all played by a symphony orchestra, is so it's yeah, it's another one of those sort of attention to detail choices that I really like about this film, and I think it's what think- makes it endure. Yeah, agreed. It makes it so timeless. Yes. Like this mm. is a film that obviously could only have been made in the time in which it was made just with everything that was going on with Disney. But the score, like it doesn't date it. I would say the only thing that dates the movie is just like the Wheeler's costumes where there's clearly a little (laughs) bit of that eighties punk influence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and Mombi's like red perm. I feel like that's very, the perms, the perms everywhere. Sophie Ward giving (laughs) for days. Oh my God. Gorgeous. But very, very appropriate for the turn of the century, too. One, yeah, it could work. The Wizard of Oz is a timeless story. Our favorite timeless story, duh, that can be told through every artistic medium under the rainbow. And that includes rising star makeup artists, flagship and limited edition Emerald City collection that has put the wash and brush up company out of business, honey. From stunning eyeshadows, glowing highlighters, to eye-catching lip care, each product is carefully formulated and packaged to enhance and inspire creativity. All Rising Star MUA products are also vegan and cruelty-free, celebrating an inclusive and conscious community of dream chasers of all ages, backgrounds, and gender expressions. We love to see it. The Emerald City Collection is a must for any Oz bounder, cosplayer, or fan, beauty and cosmetics lover, or anyone in search of aesthetic magic they can bring to their everyday. Personally, the LTB Oh My lip gloss is a daily go-to and new favorite. Visit Rising Star MUA at risingstarmua.com, linked in our show notes, for the merry old glow-up you've been waiting for. Here's to our fierce faces looking glam down our yellow brick road. Well, speaking of the 80s, friends, we're going to trans-on-ition. That's what I'm going to say. (laughs) Trans-on-ition. On over into the critical reception of this film. But first, we're in the year of 1985. It is summer. I just want to ask you a few questions and let's see who knows. Okay. Just a few pop culture questions for you. Okay, first pop culture question. What was the biggest box office film of 1985? You got to know it. 
I think it's back to the future. 100% back to the future. Yes. Excellent oh. work. The Goonies is on this list. We've got Rocky Four, <laughs> Rambo, <First laughs> yes. Blood Part Two, Color Purple's on this list, Out of Africa's on this list, The Jewel of the Nile, Cocoon, Spies Like Us, just to give you a little bit of like what was succeeding at the box office <laughs> at this time. Um, the Oscar winner of 1985 was Amadeus, Crazy Mozart. Okay. And then, what do you think was the most popular television show, friends? It was an NBC NBC show, and it wasn't Emerald City. <laughs> a little too early. 1985, most popular Is TV it Facts show. of Life? The Facts of Life? Not even on this list. Oh, man. Um, I will give you a clue. I don't know if this is too late. Is it All, all in the Family? That's too late. Too That's- late. A little too late. I will give you a clue. It's he's one of our wizards that we no longer oh, been canceled. The Cosby show. Oh, yeah. the Cosby show. Uh, yeah. Is number one. Family Ties is two. Murder She Wrote is three. We have sixty minutes because people love their news. <laughs> yes, Murder She Wrote. <laughs> yes, Angela, get in there, girl. Cheers, Come Dallas, on, Dynasty, Golden Girls, Avi, Miami Vice, and Who's the Boss? Those were kind of the big shows at the time. Number one hit song. Na- let's I have a list of a couple that like you know fluctuated during the different months but who do you think were the top artists of the time Michael Madonna Jackson being there. like a virgin was a hit song yes <laughs> yeah Madonna's huge Phil Collins is huge he's yes, we've got Duran Duran <laughs> we've got John Parr we've got Whitney Houston saving all my love for you baby we've got Stevie Wonder answering back with part-time lover <laughs> answer back yes we have lionel richie as well it's a really fun list of people but just to presence a little bit this is a great year 1985 this is also the year of the live aid concert where queen and freddie mercury gave the most notorious performance probably ever to exist Mm. on a concert stage i think like i can watch that youtube video all the time also the polar express was written this year i love that book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and handmaid's tale Wait, was the polar express only written in like 1980 what yeah i feel like it's so it feels wow. so much older. yeah yeah it feels like, like 40s yeah like that's just what i assume cider house but. rules as well wow yeah i'm just i'm literally just willy-nilly just telling you things about 1985 <laughs> this, <happened. laughs> this happened i love this context I love this context, though, because you're noticing, like, with all of this popular media, like, you notice, like, a lot of it kind of is, like, especially when it's geared towards families, like, it's very lighthearted. It's very, like, fun. Mm -hmm. The music is fun and poppy. And then you have Return to Oz and (laughs) Crystal and, like, all of these darker things, which I feel is a little bit more reminiscent of, like, kind of the like the darkness of the 80s like the undertone of the 80s of everything that was going on like you have margaret thatcher's england you have um, the aids epidemic you have ronald reagan like it was the best of times and it was the worst of times right there was (laughs) there was definitely like i mean everyone was ignoring that aids was on the rise and trying in this time especially like just like, oh, it doesn't exist. Like there was totally a blind eye happening because AIDS was like, well, also what was happening in Ethiopia was a prime um, focus, but like people were legitimately just like ignoring AIDS. It took so much before government started like, you know, giving their help and also validating AIDS. Like nightmare that I'm actually glad, like 
I didn't know. Like that, I think is a traumatizing thing to live through, especially like our communities are like the gay community is my community. Like, I am so glad Mm -hmm. I didn't live through this. Like, this is something anytime I like go see normal heart or rent, I'm always like, I'm so glad I didn't lose my best friends. Like, or my, like Mm -hmm. me, like, like just so intense. Um, another few lighthearted things to throw in. Care Bears were really having a moment in 1985. Oh, amen. <laughs> also, Pound Puppies. Who had Pound Puppies? Because I totes did. Pound Puppies. You'd go to the store, you'd get a Pound Puppy, and then you'd open its belly. And it had puppies! And you didn't know how many. Oh, yes! Oh, wait, yes, I've had these. Yeah. Oh, and you didn't know how many No, could were be there. one. Could be one. And you're like, oh, that'd be, it. oh. You wanted a litter. You wanted a litter. Also, super. Yeah, you pay the same. Please be the one. Please. (laughs) Right. Right. You're like like putting your hand out and going, Oz, and hoping that the one that you choose (laughs) is the one with the full litter of puppies. But yeah, that these are just some silly things. Last thing I'll say is Super Mario Brothers was very popular in 1985. As well as Patrick Swayze as an icon. So all these fun, fun things. Naturally. Fun, fun things. Okay. Now to transition back. Wild. We got a little bit of the 1985 temperature. So clearly there's dark things happening, but we are just reveling in the light and good hearted. Um, and now we come to the critical response for this film. I'll start us off and then y'all can take this from here just to, we, we, we know that this did not get <laughs> an outstanding critical response the biggest like blow they took was from Siskel and Eber. They really trashed it. I think they called it a disaster. Um, they oh. called TikTok a ripoff robot from Star Wars. And I take offense to that. Um, that is rude. They used the word lousy. They said that Belina was like basically the only thing they liked. It, there was nothing upbeat about it. But they <laughs> oh, yeah. really, they like trashed it like so bad. And just that I think set everyone else to trash it as well um like people were offended and we have to remember this is like the baby boomer generation going in with their kids and they're like loving their like yearly ritual of watching wizard of oz on tv and they think this is going to continue that and this just expectations are completely shattered in that regard people are just miffed it's not a musical because there wasn't really any like there wasn't any indication that it wasn't going to be a musical so people are just like bummed and let down like some people are like why can't somewhere over the rainbow just have been like the background music which i'm so glad it wasn't but like people wanted that that's like what people wanted at the time and i think everyone just felt mislead it even though i think the trailer i think the trailer is on point like i love that it starts with the gumps flight this beautiful trailer that came out with this lovely warm narrator's voice and it says this movie is going to shock and delight you um and i like that it says this is the oz you haven't seen before and the oz you want to revisit again and again i mean they did set the bar high by saying that um (laughs) So yeah, it just, it kind of just, oh man, it just, it was honest in the trailer. I will say that it did hide the wheelers and Mombi screaming heads. Um, We didn't see that and shock therapy. Um, (laughs) We didn't see any of that, but I still think like, oh man, like, I don't think it was very, I don't think it was too misleading. I think people just had expectations that were kind of unwarranted, just based in their own nostalgia around the MGM. All right, friends, go to town with what you discovered about the critical reception. So I want to bring in kind of how, kind of like what you're talking about like with the marketing or whatever. Um, I'm looking because I've recently acquired an authentic press jacket, junket from Return to Oz that was released. Yes. Um, 
I acquired it at the Oz convention. Shout yes! out to the Oz Club. <laughs> Woo! Um, so this was released by Alvin Guggenheim and Associates. That was the PR or maybe one of the PR companies that did the filming. And this is for the reviewers, people who would be reviewing the movie. Um, and the production information, they make it very clear. It's right on the first page. It says, neither a sequel nor a musical. So they tried Ooh. to set people up. Okay. They tried to set people <laughs> up that, like, this is not... Um, this is not the MGM movie. There's a lot of emphasis on bomb and the books and like really trying to, I think trying to sway that because I don't think like, I don't think Disney was like oblivious. Like I think they knew that this was a completely different tone of a movie. Um, But what I think ended up working against them was just like, again, like the title of the movie, like return to Oz, like you're setting this up to be, the sequel to a movie that never was like, we're not getting a sequel to Walter Murch's the wonderful wizard of Oz. We're not getting that ahead of this movie, Um, which I think just works against it. But it's interesting, the critical reception because people say, well, it's not lighthearted like the movie and it's like, or the, the, the MGM movie. It's like, but also like there's the flying monkeys. There is Margaret Hamilton, like traumatizing generations of children with her cackle. Like, Dorothy's life again is frequently in peril and people are freaked out by like the Tin Man moving like this is a movie the 1939 movie this is a movie that is also not really completely lighthearted but I think is just broken up because of the vaudevillian like nature of it it's like kind of like that like wink and a nudge um type of humor that lightens it up but yeah it's just people like I think that's the general response of like well this movie was just too scary for young young children um that ultimately worked against it but also is like was this really a movie that was meant for young young children or was this maybe right. a movie that was geared towards like older children even preteens um people who would be around the same age as Feruza in the movie like nine ten years old um who maybe would have had a little bit more of a stomach for a little bit more of the darker moments or a little bit more understanding of it but yeah i think it's just it's interesting it's not surprising that it got the reaction it did especially when you look at that context like again like when it's up against like the care bears movie like this is a completely different <laughs> care different bears <laughs> movie <laughs> i mean the new york times review you can read online is just yeah like they say that like but the inventiveness that has gone into this and into turning Oz into a land of lavish special effects will be lost on anyone with a fondness for the 1939 musical classic. It calls it joyless. That's sad to me. I don't think yeah, it's that, so that Times know. review feels so silly because it basically is like comparing it to Star Wars, which I totally get, but... It, or TikTok. I think it. I know. Port. It's like TikTok is R two D two. However, I do appreciate that um, that New York Times article, which is written or reviewed by Janet Maslin. Okay. Um, she does mention the claymation as being yes. a this very yeah. new technique, and she said it's used really well there. Get it, well, get it, she well, likes the costumes. <laughs> she has like a few highlights, like how the friends are operated, the puppet, the puppeteers. But yeah, she basically ends it with saying it contains little explicit violence, but a great deal of it may scare small children. Fair. <laughs> like Home Alone scared me Which when I, I was. Sure, of course. Fair, fair, fair. What, what's cool yeah. to do now is if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, 
just look at all the reviews that have been collected. They progressively get better and more nuanced, mm. which is really cool to see. I'm just going to cool. one line from a review on The Decider that is so great. Um, it just says, the product is Return to Oz. It's talking, it, it walked you through everything that was tumultuous at Disney during that time. The product is Return to Oz, a popular failure as fascinatingly imperfect as the broken things that inhabit it. I thought that nailed it. I was like, it, it does. It, it does. Like that, it, and that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Like that really gave me chills that line. And like, if you go through those rotten tomato reviews, they're really beautiful. Cause people are like, whoa, this speaks to something though. And like, it really got overlooked and yeah. I also mm. wonder too, because looking through like this, like this press stuff, um, I think the press was really kept out of the production, like when they were making the movie. And there's an article that's included in here. I don't think this was part of the original press junk. I think this got added in later. All right. So this is an article from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, and it was written by James Vernier. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing that. And this was actually written during the production. Um, and James talks a lot about like how like the press has been kind of kept away from this. Like it was really difficult for him to get onto the set and to interview Walter Murch. He's like, too stressed. Were, like, he was way too stressed. He was way too stressed. <laughs> people were keeping him away. The producers were kind of stepping in, but they also like he references like apparently like People Magazine. Like there was a writer that was like almost harassing like poor little Feruza. Like literally like got into her car. Um, and refused to leave until she answered any questions. So I think, Ew. like, there were certain things that they were trying to do to keep her safe during this and, like, keeping the production As under wraps. I'm wondering if there was just a negative... I wonder if there was, Ooh. like, this negative re- relationship with the press. The press. We're and like, we're ready to... We know up. how the press feels about that. Like, they're going to fight out against that and mm-hmm. maybe not really give something its fair shot. So I'm also wondering oh. if there's that context. Oh. Ooh. I mean, well, I'm sure it's just conspiracy. It's just you know, feel <laughs> for the fire. I'm sure that definitely steps in to help. Well, Feruza, I know, has yeah. talked about in past interviews with like the Radio City Music Hall was the premiere in the in June, I believe, of 1985, and it was like this big to do, and that they had this whole like Disney had like a residency at Radio City Music Hall where they were going to be showing so the funny. Black Cauldron in correlation with ah! the film. So they had like all this stuff happening, and then like it premiered, and then it's almost like Feruza becomes Dorothy and Return to Oz. Like everything she loved about making this film, like just went away. Like she had that one big event, mm. and that was it. That film just got panned, and they didn't really continue pushing it. But it uh, overseas, it did great. Like the UK did great. <laughs> Japan, excellent. The merch from UK and Japan and Japan, and I also just can't help myself. I've been like the Walter merch. <laughs> like I just have to add that. Lol. Can't help myself. And me it's oh. the bomb and me um but oh my god the merch that happens overseas is the best merch i think we'll see for this film um which is pretty cool so yeah it like had this beautiful premiere and then it's like it crumbled after that like nothing really went on to celebrate it and nothing really has celebrated it in a big way since um besides like the big the people who that like loved this film from the get-go were people who love the Oz books, but a lot of those people don't have like huge platforms to like really, you know, 
stand on a pedestal and be like, wait, 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 this film actually is pretty awesome. So that wasn't quite happening at the at the time. I think we briefly mentioned, but just to say it here, um, it did receive an Oscar nom for oh, Best yes. Visual Effects. Please, please which say that. I, <laughs> which I love. And then just selfishly, I want to mention <laughs> really quick, this is so random, but there's uh, an article from the Associated Press interviewing Ray Bolger because he, oh, no. Margaret Hamilton had passed away I'm like, a month before. I'm <laughs> I know. Ray Bolger, he was now like the last survive, you know, like yeah. main cast member. Yes, correct. Um, so they're talking to him. Um, it says Bolger, 81, has been undergoing treatment for hip problems. Oh. He said in an interview that he has no desire to see Disney's return to Oz. God. Quote, having been brought up on the Wizard of Oz book, I think the original is the true story. Get you can't out, return Ray. to Oz in that sense. But they have a beautiful young lady as Dorothy. And what I've seen of the film looks intriguing. It might be interesting for today's young people to see another version of the story. What is this conflicted statement that he really <laughs> I know. He's like, I will not see it. I will not I support, support it. it. There's only one Wizard of Oz. But this it actress made me laugh. is pretty good. Who's in it? I was like, <laughs> he's 81. He's probably on like pain meds for his hip surgery. I don't oh know. Oh my gosh. So I just wanted to end there. Funny story just to quickly share. I was in for uh, audition yesterday in, in an audition room and I haven't been in like audition rooms now for us as actors in, in New York City are like rare. You're doing tapes more. So when you're in the room now, it's like, wait, what? You're real? Like you're not zooming you. <laughs> and I was asked, like, what is your highest note? And I literally wanted to be I, my oh brain my, my brain went dead. Like I was like, I can't speak music right now, but I literally wanted to be like, I'm on painkillers for my my infected tooth right now. Like I wanted <laughs> I wanted to answer that. <laughs> I am on, on painkillers. That's what my brain is telling so, me right now. So whatever you want me to sing, I'll sing. So I get Ray's very <laughs> wacky statement. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, I literally was like, I could sing that up an octave. That's what I said. So we did that. <laughs> hey. So I was like, whatever. That pretty much. But, that gets a job done. I was like, I can't speak music Yeah, right that now. just, that I'm made me laugh. Killers. Oh, Ray. Oh, Ray. <laughs> oh, Ray. <laughs> okay. Let's get into some merchy merch, some Walter merchy merch. Okay. <laughs> Who wants to start start us know. off? I think it might have to be Nate. <laughs> yeah, Nate, you yes, want to kick I us off? I can get us started off. So in terms of my experience with um, the merch for the film that was released at the time, like the only things I can really find are like obviously the novelization. Um, Smuckers did like a giveaway um, where you the would send puppet. in stuff and then you would get the hand puppets <laughs> that are now like $600 on eBay, which what? Some... it's wild. It's hat. TikTok, Jack, um, not Jack Pumpkinhead, um, the Gump, TikTok, and the Scarecrow. I believe those are the only three that they made. Wild. Um, <laughs> We're saving up. Um, my child won't. Yes. And I also like, I also think too, like, Imagine if this film had come out like after like Disney really got into like the merchandising game with like the Disney princess. Oh my god, we would have seen. Mm-hmm. I think it's time they did some. I know, right? Like, <laughs> try to make it a comeback. Um, but also they had, and I have this in my own collection. I acquired these at a flea market long, oh. long time ago. Um, just happened across it. They released trading cards. Um in bubblegum and stickers. Um, so, so you, cool. And I was through Tops. Um, and you would basically, you would open up the packages. Luckily, mine were already pre-opened, so I didn't have to make that decision for myself of mm-hmm. do I open up these collectibles? They were already opened. Mm. Um, 
so you'd have these stickers of the characters. So, and then on the other side would be um, a comic that you almost are like piecing together that walks you through the film. And like, there's like stills from the film and word bubbles. Um, and then there's another set where it is, you're putting it together and it is a puzzle. Um, so you have the sticker on one side and then the other side, you're putting together a puzzle of Dorothy, TikTok, and Belina standing in Mobby's throne room. Um, so that's a very fun find. Um, like y'all are mentioning, um, Return to Oz has, has a ton of really cool like merch from overseas, like Japan. Like you have Dorothy dolls and you have figures yes. of the characters. Um, the heart other countries heart, really got into it. The Heart and Heart Company in Japan has really beautiful dolls, and there was a German Dorothy doll that was. It is still. Ooh. It's very hard to get your hands on. We Em and I are not collectors. We turn this over to Walter Kruger and Tori Calamito. <laughs> so mm-hmm. please go to their pages. Go to the Oz vlog. Go to Walter's page because they are collectors. Um, but this, mm-hmm. the merch is so cool and it's pretty amazing that it's obscure to find a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's just, I feel like a lot of the merch that was released at the time is very limited for the States. But luckily, I think because of the internet and like, independent shop owners like you have a lot of people who are creating their merch now i think it's getting the love it deserves now you have ruckus tees that released their pin line um i've been able to acquire my own 3d printed tiktok from etsy <laughs> um that's technically a salt shaker but i don't put any salt in it it just it's just a nice little figurine that i wish i had so um but yeah it's just it's interesting there's just not a lot out there of it. Right. It's, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Y'all last night I went on eBay when I found that Japan souvenir program. Oh no. And I said $4 <laughs> on eBay. I found it for So I was like, I'm on it. $4. No way. Sometimes y'all it's like 70. And then you see one that like, they don't know what they have. And they're just like, Whatever. <laughs> right. And you're like, great, cool. Like I got, Jump on it. I got the MGM uh, casino, the menu for the Wizard of Oz cafe I that existed. That one the one on eBay that we purchased that we got for our giveaway was quite expensive. It was like a, a find because they're pretty hard to come by these menus. I was randomly thrifting and I found it. They were like, yeah, ten dollars is fine. It's like <laughs> wow. Okay, on eBay this is like a lot. <laughs> so it's just like it's interesting what you'll come across. But that Japanese souvenir program, it looks like Dorothy's escaping London. It's not. It's this. It's it's Mombi's Tower, but it really does look like Big Ben. It looks more like Peter Pan esque. <laughs> from it, I love it. Some of my favorite things that I've seen from the merch. Well, y'all, I didn't know this. This kind of blew my mind. This is in the Wonderful World of Oz, an illustrated history of the American classic by John Fricke. Just to, just to like a little note over here. It said Feruza Balk's ruby slippers from Return to Oz. They're featured here. Used via special and expensive licensing from MGM, the Disney shoes were later awarded as the prize in a magazine contest. So they gave away one of the shoes. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Much as one pair of the 1939 footwear was worn by teenage Roberta Bauman in 1940, which we know the Roberta Bauman pair from the original Ruby Slippers, they have had quite the journey. They were the ones if you went to Disney World in the 90s and went on the movie ride, those were the ones you saw. Wild. So who has these? Who won? <laughs> I, I this will now be my life. This is my life's work now. 
I will be finding them. There's lots of cool puzzles um, that exist. There's an amazing read-along book that I actually listened to on YouTube last night. It's 13 minutes. It is actually the best, like, tiny children's book adaptation of Return to Oz. Of course, they cut out huge things, but it actually keeps the plot pretty much intact from the film. And it's narrated by, I love his voice. His name is William Woodson, I believe. Really cute. And it has some of the best production stills within the book, which is really cool. Um, And of course, I'm just obsessed with that early movie poster with Mombi. That's like one of my favorite things. Like that's what I would want to own if I can own something really cool. That's perfect. That poster. It's so good. (laughs) It is so perfect. It was like original concept art. I believe, oh yeah, Maurice Sendik. I think it was Maurice Sendik, the Where the Wild Things Are guy. Uh, I believe that was him cool. who did that one. I might be speaking out of turn. Come at me if I am, and I will correct myself because I'm an upstanding <laughs> podcaster. Okay? I will say wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, do you want to share with us your hopes and dreams for the 40th anniversary before you have to flee the coop like Belina? Flee the coop. <laughs> so... My hopes and dreams for the 40th anniversary is I'd love to see some sort of reunion. I'd love to see a re-release of the film. Um, I have a DVD of the film that was actually, I had to, my brother got it for me from eBay. I think it's like a Korean copy that's in English. Um, But like, I don't know if there's any like special features of like, I would love to see like commentary by like Walter Merch. I would love to see like Feruza like looking back on this and like sharing stories from the set. Like I would love to see something like that. Um, I would love to see new merch. I would love to see it have its moment in the sun. Disney acknowledge Um, it. Just acknowledge. Disney acknowledge it aside from any sort of acknowledgement. Exactly. Because I feel like it just like Disney like shoves it to the side. And it's like, I mean, between this and like Oz Great and Powerful, like, Way I'm going to take this any day of the week. I'm going to take Return Ooh. to Oz. Um, this should have, it just needs so much more love. Because I feel like, it's, like, when you watch it now, like, it holds up. Um, and it's mm-hmm. just a beautiful film. And I would just love to see it get it the recognition it deserves and not just being remembered as, oh, that really scary freaky wizard of oz movie from the 80s it's like (laughs) like let's appreciate it for the the wonderful work that went into it and just really give like especially like walter merch like he put his heart and soul and like all this work into this film and um i i hope he knows how much like the fans appreciate it and like um how grateful we are for that and again for Feruza to also have her moment because like I know a lot of people know her from like the craft or like almost famous um definitely had like a fangirl moment when I saw her in those movies and didn't realize she was going to (laughs) be in those movies um but like this is like she is such a wonderful Dorothy in this and like one of like the truest um Dorothy's to like the OG Dorothy to the original like book Dorothy. I love Judy's Dorothy. It's a it's just a different take. Yeah. It's just a different take on the same source material. Um but yeah no I would just love to see them get that credit and just get that acknowledgement and not just have it be glossed over with just another like Blu-ray release or something for the anniversary doing something a little special for it. And that's a fact. 100. <laughs> <And that's> a fact. <laughs> This movie needs a Kate Bush moment. You know what I mean? 
Oh, like, keep need, running up that hill. We need like a Kate Bush moment, like where this movie's back and in people's faces. Um, and last question for you, Nate. Would you come to our deadly dessert if we open it? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. I will have that melted silver. I'll have those it. limestone cakes. Okay. I'm very it's curious as to how they taste. And this is where all our money is going to go. We're going to open a deadly Perfect. dessert for the 40th anniversary. <laughs> Great. We have a few years to figure this out. I'll start testing recipes. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nate. Thank you so much for having yes. me. This was fun. I'm glad that we got to talk about this film that I love, love so dearly. And now you're going to have like nice. a mysterious part that follows you when you leave. So when you listen in, you'll get to hear the rest of us. Yeah. And we can't wait to hear <laughs> your hot takes. I love surprises. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Bye, friends. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Please stay tuned for part two dropping this Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. If you are feeling fresh with your fingertips, scroll on over to Apple Podcasts and now Spotify woot woot to leave us a glowing rate and review. It's a big help. Each person who leaves us an Apple review will be entered to win our end of the season Oz giveaway, including a gift basket of Aussie book goodies that trust me, you aren't going to want to miss. All previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We see you. Further fun and ways to support us can be found at our Etsy swag shop from Good Witch Trouble merch to our new Fab Four of Oz icon collection with a big shout out to our graphic designer, Maddie Frank. Find us also on Patreon and Instagram via Down the Yellow Brick Pod, as well as on Venmo at Down the YBP. We always appreciate a tip to you. Let's escape to Oz soon, okay? Okay, Auntie Anne.